welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Today we're going to continue our series. We started last week. It's called Money on My Mind. Money on My Mind. Money is a constant factor in our lives, right? We think about it every day. How much should I spend on this? How much does this cost? How much should I be saving? So what does the Bible say about how we should view money and possessions? The Bible is not quiet on this. It is very relevant for us even here today on how we should handle our finances. And last week we started with a a broad scope of what we have. We, We have to remember God owns it all. Okay, we have to start with that. Psalm 24, 1, remember it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So we know all the earth was created by God. He owns it all. And we're responsible to be a steward and to be managing what God has given us. God owns it all. And also, praise God, he also provides it all. He is our provider for our every need. And lastly, we said last week, giving does not follow your heart. Giving reveals your heart. You know, you can say that you're dedicated to someone or something, but if if you don't back it up by what you're spending, what your finances, what your credit card statement is, is that really where your heart is? Is that really what your treasure is? Your giving reveals your heart. And today we're going to continue in this series, as we talk on finances, with this message entitled, Tied to the Tithe. Tied to the tithe. Say that really fast. Tied to the tithe. We're going to learn about the tithe, what God says about giving, and in order to do that, again, we have to start at the beginning of time. Last week, we looked at Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that God created, and we saw how God put them in charge of managing creation. This week, we start with Adam and Eve's two oldest sons, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Cain was in charge of working the ground. Abel was in charge of the animals and the sheep. And they both bring an offering to the Lord. Let's look at what it says here in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And this is one of the very first offerings that we see in the Bible. It's technically not the first one, because if you look at the chapter before, Adam and Eve, when they fell, God had to provide a sacrifice through the animals for, for clothing. So it's technically not the first offering, but it's the first time we see the word offering in the Bible. And this offering that that Cain and Abel bring to God, it's it's not a sin offering. It's an expression of gratitude to God. And it says, Abel brings the firstborn of the flock. Cain brings the fruit of the ground. And it says, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he had no regard for Cain. What that word means when it says regard is it means to, to consider, to have honor, to have respect for it. It's saying God respected Abel's offering, but not Cain's. So why is that? 
And I know what you're probably thinking. Well, it's obvious, Matt, obviously. Cain brought fruit. Abel brought meat. I mean, there's no competition. Of course, if Cain would have brought a lamb kebab to God, he would have preferred that to the fruit and vegetables. That's not actually what it is. It gets very specific with, with Abel's offering. It says he brought the firstborn of the flock and the fat portion. If you look at the New Living Translation version, it says, it actually goes on to say the best of the firstborn of the flock. So Abel gave God the best, and then it also says the fat of the animal was important because that is a prized luxury. Today, we, we don't want to eat the fatty portion, right? We want the lean meat, we want to cut that fat off. Or maybe you don't, I don't know. But back then, that was prized possession. That fat was supposed to give you energy and strength. You wanted that to survive. So giving God that fat was a luxury. And not only that, when you would burn it, it would be a sweet aroma to God. And we know that smells delicious, right? We know God's right on all things, but he's especially right when it comes to that. That would smell very good. You guys, okay, you can laugh in church, right? You can have expressions, you can have joy. Everybody with me? All right. Okay, thank you. The burning of fat in a sacrifice before God was a sweet aroma. And so there's all these directions. We know for sure that it wasn't about what Cain and Abel brought between the vegetables or the fruit or the grains of the ground and the meat. We know this because if you look in Leviticus, Leviticus gives you the guidelines for giving an offering to God. We're not going to go there today, but if you go into Leviticus chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 7, it maps out what is allowed and what is not. And a grain offering was acceptable in gratitude to God. So the issue was not what God prefers, it's that we are to give God our best and our first. Our first point today is that we have to give God your best. Don't hold back from God. Cain did not prepare to give God his best. He did not put his effort into his gift compared to how Abel gave intentionally a pleasing and honoring offering to God. Now, it says that the Lord regarded Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And then it says Cain was angry and his face fell. So I thought, well, how did Cain know that his offering wasn't accepted by God? How did Abel know that his was accepted by God? It doesn't say it here in the text. But a lot of other times when we see an offering giving, the Lord will devour, fire from heaven will come and devour the sacrifice. I believe it's possible that that's what happened right here. And so when God, when God devoured the sacrifice with fire for Abel, but didn't do it for Cain, Cain's face fell and he became angry. Again, we don't know that for certain, but if you look in other areas in the Bible, that is what happened. And let me explain further how we know the Bible says Abel brought an acceptable offering and Cain did not. You have to go to Hebrews to find that. Sometimes you have to move forward into the New Testament to find out truths about the Old Testament. And if you look at Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable offering or acceptable sacrifice than Cain. <clears throat> through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Right here in Hebrews, it tells us plainly, why, did, why was Abel's offering more acceptable? Because it was presented with faith. Faith sanctified Abel's sacrifice. 
that land that, that Abel gave to God, it could have been provision. The reason the firstborn is more important in this context, if you're a middle child like me or, or the lastborn, you're, you're still important, okay? But in that context with an animal, the firstborn is growing. It's the biggest. It would provide the most meat for the family. You follow me? And so when Abel gave that to God, he said, you are more important. I know you're going to provide for me. I'm going to keep my faith in you and give you my best and my first. Abel said, no, this, this firstborn doesn't belong to me. It will not provide for my family. It will go to God. The difference of Abel and Cain's sacrifice was not between an animal and vegetation. It was that Abel's sacrifice was made by faith. When we give to God, we are instructed to give our best and our first. And we can only give our best through faith. If we're not giving to God first, it's not a tithe. It's a tip. I heard this from a pastor, and I was like, that's good, I'm going to take that. Think about it. If you, give, if you do not give to God first, you're not giving a tithe, you're giving a tip. When you go to a restaurant after the meal... The bill comes and you tip the waiter or waitress based on what they've done for you. A tithe is saying, before I receive anything from God, I'm trusting and I know you're going to provide the best for me. I'm giving to you now. It's a sacrifice made out of faith. An acceptable offering to God is one given by faith. Back in Genesis 4, we see this offering. That Cain and Abel bring. And, and the word offering, that just, again, it's the first time we see the word offering in the Bible. It's the Hebrew word mekah. It meant to present a gift to God. And so this is the first time we see it. I want to move forward to the last time that you see it in the Bible. The last time that you see it in the Old Testament. Remember, the Hebrew is in the Old Testament, Greek is in the New Testament. I want to move forward to Malachi chapter 3. Last book in the Old Testament. If you didn't know, Malachi is a short book on the minor, one of the minor prophets. I feel bad saying that. It's like they're, they're not important. They're, they're minor, but they're still important people, okay? Uh, they're not as important as the major prophets, but they're important to God. And Malachi, he, he becomes this prophet during a hundred years after the people of Israel have come back from slavery in Babylon. They come back from exile, but they're struggling as a nation. They're back, but their hearts are not back with God. In fact, they're struggling with injustice. They're struggling with corruption. And, and so they're giving God these blemished sacrifices. They're not giving their best to God. And unfortunately, even the priests, those who are supposed to receive the offering, they are in on the corruption as well. And, and so God comes and he speaks to the people in Malachi chapter 3. Let's read Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So God does not mince his words here, right? It's pretty straightforward. 
He says, I'm not the one that changed. We're in, you're in a problem right now. You're in crisis. It's not because of me. It's because of you. I don't change. You're the one who changes. And they say, oh, okay, well, how do we change? And God says, will you, will a man rob God? Can you imagine God saying this to you? Like, I'd be on the defensive, like, well, uh, how are we robbing you? God says, by your tithes and your contributions. He's very direct. And he says, the tithe does not belong to you. It belongs to God. You know, all everything belongs to God. He gives back what we can steward in our lives. God owns it all, but he entrusts us to be the steward. So God says, the tithe belongs to me, and if you keep that, you are robbing me. I heard another pastor say it that way. He said, you can either give the tithe, or you can rob the tithe. I didn't say that. That didn't come from me. I'm saying, this other pastor said this, okay? I'm just telling you what they said. Don't come don't at me. They, they said it. And when the Bible talks about the tithe, let, let me explain what that means real quick. A tithe simply means the first tenth. So from the example of the Old Testament, the people were to give one-tenth of their income, a tenth of what they produced, and donate that to the church, to the temple. And it's only the goodness and the favor of God and his kingdom that God can do more through 90% of your finances than you can do with 100% of your finances. I'm going to say that again. Only through God. He can do more through 90% of his finances than you can do with 100% of his finances. I'll say it that way. And if we stopped right there, we'd say, man, that was direct, but God, that was, that was tough, right? That was harsh. That's not the end of the passage. Let me show you what God says next, verses 10 through 12. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Can I get an amen for that word? Amen. Powerful. Thank God for that. Yes. Our second point today, first is to give God our best. Second is giving by faith honors God. Giving by faith honors God. We saw that in Cain and Abel, right? Hebrews 11, 4, by faith, Abel was brought an acceptable offering. And God is asking the people here in the book of Malachi, he says what? Bring the full tithe. Don't hold back from me. Don't hold part of this back. Why? And then he says, put God to the test. That is my favorite part. Did you see that? He said, put me to the test. There's a lot of times in the Bible where it says God tests us. He tests our hearts and our intentions. But right here, God challenges us to put him to the test. Again, if you don't read that part, if you just stop before you're like, man, God is asking me for this step of faith, but he's not asking so that he can just take from you and leave you worse off and make life more difficult for you. But instead, God says, test me and see that I will put a blessing back on you. See that I will open the windows of heaven and give you a blessing until you are filled and satisfied. He says, if you will test me, 
and give all the tithe, he lists out what he'll do. He says, I'll pour out a blessing. I will rebuke the devourer. I will not allow the enemy to have a foothold in your work and in your life. And people will see it and they're going to acknowledge the blessing and the favor that you have because of me. Amen. You think that God is asking for your resources because he needs you? He's asking because you need all of his resources. This is for your better. We, see, we serve a God that encourages us to put him to the test. I defy you to find anybody else in your life in leadership that tells you, hey, put me to the test. Does your boss say that to you? Your employer say that to you? Does the government say that to you? No. But the God that we serve says, hey, put me to the test and see that I won't do it. I think that's where we get, won't he do it from? I'm not positive, but I think that's where we get that phrase from. Like when we get an extra sauce pack at Chick-fil-A, won't he do it? Praise the Lord. He's the provider. He's the supplier. I think what God is saying is you can't outgive him. Amen. You can give to God, but you can't outgive God. That's right. His generosity and his blessings far outweigh anything that you can imagine. Are you with me this morning? Amen. Okay. When you put him first, he will do beyond what you can imagine. And it's the same principle, right? If we trust God to do more with 90% than 100%, it doesn't make sense in our natural realm. Doesn't make sense. We think the more disposable income I have, the better off I'm gonna be. Think about the same with the Sabbath, you know? I can do more with working seven days than I can do six, but not with God's kingdom. And God's kingdom has very practical reasons why that doesn't work as well. Why? Because you working every day, seven days a week, you think you work at the same quality? You need rest. We were designed to need rest. And it is for your best. God will bless you when you honor him by saying, look, I can do what I can do, but I'm going to put God first and believe he's going to supply all the needs I have. Let me show you a, a real life example. There's a small ma-and-pa restaurant that sells really good chick chicken sandwiches called Chick-fil-A. Has anybody heard of that before? You know, it's kind of an unusual place, but uh, no, it's been around for a while, right? I think over like 75 years. And if you're familiar with them, you know one thing about them, other than they have really good food and service, you know they're not open on Sundays, right? The website explains why their founder decided when they opened the first restaurant, in Georgia in 1946 that they would choose every Sunday would be off so their employees could rest and worship if they wanted to. And Truett, their, their founder, was quoted in his book saying, closing our business on Sunday, the Lord's Day, is our way of honoring God and showing our loyalty to Him. And he went on to say, he said, my brother Ben and I closed our first restaurant on the first Sunday after we opened in 1946. And my children have committed to closing our restaurants on Sundays long after I'm gone. I believe God honors our decision and sets before us unexpected opportunities to do greater work for him because of our loyalty. It's a powerful statement. It's not always easy to honor that. It's easy to say that in the beginning sometimes, but can you follow through and continue on with that? In 2019, Chick-fil-A reportedly did over $10 billion in revenue. Over $10 billion. Now check this out. 
an article by 24-7 Wall Street, they estimated that if Chick-fil-A was open every Sunday, they would have brought in an additional $1.2 billion in sale. I don't know how many mathematicians I have in the room, but if you think about $10 billion, and if you think about a tenth of that, what would that be? A billion dollars. It's almost exactly a tithe, a tenth of what they have. Honoring God, staying in business. And there are articles that came out, articles that came out that said, you know what, this is actually a healthier way to have a model as a church. Or I'm not sorry, as a church, as a restaurant. Because you're, people are going to see this and they're going to say, wow, that company cares about their employees to have a day off. They're going to say, wow, this is actually a competitive advantage. They made the point that if you're driving past here on Saturday and you get hungry, you're going to go in now because you can't wait till tomorrow. If you drive past on Sunday and you're like, man, I'm hungry for that. You can't have it today, but now you're going to be hungry to go there tomorrow. There's a competitive advantage. And what a testimony that we can forego what seems like a good business decision in order to honor God. I want to be clear that God will honor and bless you, but it, it can still sting a little bit, right? To give God first. Think about telling Chick-fil-A, you could have a billion extra dollars a year if you were open every Sunday. But they forego that, and God has provided for them every time. We see examples of how the tithe honors God, and we give our best with the tithe. And here's a moment, because we almost are at the third point today, I want to... This is something you probably didn't expect to hear, talking about tithe to the tithe. See, all of this in the scripture that I've shown you thus far is in the Old Testament. And some would argue that the tithe was part of the law, and that law was fulfilled by Jesus. So we don't need to worry about that anymore. We don't need to worry about the law. We just focus on the commands of Jesus. And conceptually, the tithe was actually not in the law. It was from the beginning. It was before the law. We know Cain and Abel brought offerings, and that was before the law. If you look at Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, or Abram at that time, they, they went to war, and he tithes to Melchizedek, the priest of God, off of the winnings of that fight. So the tithe is, uh, was here before the law was. And, and we're going to get into all that today, but Hebrews 7 says that tithing... It is not a principle that depends on the law of Moses. It was created before the law. And it was a practice that was honored by God long after Moses. However, the New Testament does not specifically command tithing. But it does talk about it. And Jesus, in the story in Luke 11, he's been invited to the Pharisees' house to, to sit there and eat with them. And we know the Pharisees right there. Uh, the great religious leaders of the day, they, they struggled to, they did all the right things by the letter of the law, the religious acts and guidelines, but they were always missing what was most important. Well, let me show you the story in Luke 11, verses 39 through 42. It says, and the Lord said to him, meaning Jesus, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things 
that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And if you read on, Jesus kind of goes on a tangent here. He lists out different issues that he has with the Pharisees as they conduct themselves as the religious leaders. You know, they're desiring the best seats in the house. They want to be elevated. They want everybody to see them. And Jesus goes on, he, he says, woe to you for this. He goes on a list of warnings. But the very first warning is he says, woe to you, for you tithe the mint and the rue and the herb. What he's saying is you t you're very particular. You're meticulous at every herb that you create. You say, okay, here's a tenth of it. Here you go, God. You know how to do that really well, but you're neglecting justice and the love of God in your heart. Now, notice what he says here. He says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He does not say, the tithe is in the past, you don't have to do that anymore. He says, no, continue to do that, but don't do that and neglect showing the love of God to people. It's a principle. In the New Testament, tithe is not a command, it's a principle. It's how it believes, I believe it works the same way as it is for the people in the Israel in the book of Malachi. Right? They were given a blessing if they would test God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sometimes we say, okay, well, the Old Testament's over. We just need to focus on the New Testament. No, no, no. You miss out a, a lot. How many times in the New Testament does Jesus reference the Old Testament? So should we throw it out? If, if Jesus is referencing it, I think I need to reference it as well. All the Bible is inscription by God. And recently, I want to explain what this principle is with tithing in the New Testament in our lives today. Uh, years ago, a book came out called Blue Like Jazz. Has anybody heard of that book? It's a very random book. A couple people, a couple people, okay. So my hippie youth pastor wanted us to read this as a group. And um, so we did it as a small group. I do not agree with everything in this book. If you read it, please don't take, but sometimes you have to kind of, you know, chew up the meat, spit out the bones. You don't believe everything you, you read, right? And I don't remember a lot about this book, but there's one thing that stuck out to me reading it 15 years ago. That I've always remembered. I tried to find the passage for you. I couldn't find an excerpt. I don't have the book. So let me paraphrase for you. This, this man, Donald, he's kind of thinking back. And people that have read it, don't, don't come up to me and tell me this was completely wrong later on. Okay? Just, just give me some grace here. Um, but he's, he's looking back at his life in college. And it's a very liberal arts uh, college. And he had a roommate. I believe it's during college or afterwards. And his roommate had this, uh, this jar or something on his dresser with money and he asked him, his roommate, you know, what is this for? Why do you have this? Thinking it's, you know, for groceries or for uh, entertainment or some sort of fun. And he goes, oh, that's my tithe. That's my tithe money. And Donald's like, tithe, you don't even go to church. You don't, I'm not even sure you believe about God. He's like, yeah, but I've just always seen this principle work. It works for me. Whenever I give to God, I know he's going to bless me. And that's always, I've always remembered that, that somebody who doesn't even go to church, not sure what they believe in God, and yet they'd be willing to honor him and know that the principle just works out and God honors that principle in his life. Can I try to find that actual excerpt from that? But it, it was perplexing. And, and so I, um, I remember the story where 15 years ago, 
how someone could give 10% of their income and know that that principle works and God honors the giving. Our last point as we close today, tithing is the starting point of generosity. Number three, tithing is the starting point of generosity. This is not the end. If you tithe, that does not mean you've arrived as a disciple of Jesus, you're doing everything right. It's the starting point. Because generosity is a mindset, not a percentage. Let me show you what the church at Acts did as they gave to one, one another in generosity. In Acts chapter 2, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church is getting together. They're, they're breaking bread. They're, they're reading the Bible. They're praying together. And this is how it ends that chapter. Read this with me in verses 44 through 47. It says, If all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Generosity is not about a percentage. It's a heart to share what God is giving us with other people. And this is an extreme example. I want to make sure I explain that. This is an extreme example. The people in the beginning of the, the church in Acts 2, they are willing to sell possessions, share belongings, share meals. We're worried about what percentage we're going to give. Are we having conversations like, well, do we tie on the gross or the net? These people are giving out of what they have. They're like, hey, do you need something? I'm going to go sell what I have and I'll give it to you to help you out. Hey, do you need this? I'll help you out with it. This is the mentality, the generosity they have. It's beyond the legalism and having a desire to bless the people of God. It comes down to a matter of the heart. Let me show you one more example from Scripture as we close. And this is the story of the widow's offering in Mark. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And he sat down, meaning Jesus again, opposite the treasury, and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. So Jesus is observing the people giving to the offering. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. I wouldn't recommend you standing there and watching people give, but Jesus can do it, okay? I wouldn't. Don't do that, but Jesus can do it. And he calls his disciples over to teach them the importance of giving, not about the amount that's in your hand, but about the generosity of your heart. And thankfully, Jesus knows beyond our actions. He knows our heart and our intentions. We don't always know what what we're doing or the reason that we do them, but God does. And, and Jesus is saying that this woman has given more than all the wealthy people who have given out of their excess. 
You might say, that doesn't make any sense. All these people, it says they gave large sums of money. How does this one lady putting in two coins that equal a, a cent, how can that be the same? Because this woman gave by faith. It's easy to give out of abundance. Can you give when it doesn't make sense? And I've heard people say this. I've heard them say, I'll start to be generous when I get that pay raise. Oh, I can't wait to bless people and give once I get that salary, once I get what I need. I'm sorry to say, sometimes that's not how it works. When we give out of what costs us, it's not about the amount, it's about how much does it cost us. If you remember King David in the Bible, and I think it's 2 Samuel, he says, I will not give God something that does not cost me. A sacrifice should cost us. As we close this morning, I know this is a, this is a tricky topic, okay? I'm sweating up here. Don't shoot me after the service, okay? <laughs> but I say this for your benefit, because I believe the words of Malachi, that if we will give to God and bring the full time, we'll bring a blessing, we'll be generous with people, he is going to look out for us. He is going to watch over us. I would not tell you to give if I did not believe that word from God. Brett, can you come up to play to make me feel more spiritual at the end here? I just need a little backup, okay? <laughs> just in case. <laughs> and I know this is a tricky topic. And um, I encourage you, if you're struggling with this, I encourage you, just with anything in your life, start small. If you're struggling to read your Bible every week, every day, don't start by saying, I'm going to binge read through Jonah. Say, I'm going to start with five verses in the Bible. If you struggle to pray every week or every day, don't try to get into your room and pray for an hour. Start by just praying for five minutes. If you have to start, start anywhere. Start small. But I'll tell you what the Bible says in the New Testament. The measure with which you give, it will be measured back. That is why I ask you to give you a to give in faith and honoring God. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm not going to draw this out in a long altar time, but I just want to take a moment to pray for you. If you're struggling with faith in an area, any area, whether it's finances, any area of giving to God, sacrificing to God, putting God first, I want to take a moment to pray for you to have the faith to believe. And we're going to stand on the word of Malachi together. We're going to test God with what we give, amen? We're going to test him that he won't pour out a blessing. He won't open up the windows of heaven. That he won't protect you. Think about this for a second. It just occurred to me. The Chick-fil-A story, God provided for them, right? They're, they're still doing well. As far as I know, they don't tell me what their financial spreadsheets are. But um, as far as I know, they're doing well. And what they believe as a company doesn't always go well in our world. I don't know if you know some of their stances on things. In our cancel culture right now, it would make sense to me that they would be on the decline. But God has protected them and kept them safe as a company. I believe because they put God first in their life. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, we thank you that you are the God of abundance. You are the God of generosity. Help us to put you first in our lives. Help us to give of ourselves sacrificially to your kingdom. And we stand on your word in Malachi that you will pour out a blessing. We come to test you and to see that you are good. That you respond to those.
who come after who pursue you and, and help us to be like David and say, I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me something. We thank you for that. We stand in faith, receiving what you have for us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.